My agent called, he said he got some interest in my script I'm glad I didn't tell him that I never finished it I got my cast of characters and outline for the plot I even got a famous classic case of writer's block Get it out of my head 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 Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Welcome to On the Page. This is the podcast that answers all of your questions about the craft and business of screenwriting. My name is Pilar Alessandra, and I'm the instructor and script consultant here at On the Page. Joining me as guest is Giz Gewertz. Hello. Hi. It took me, people should know that it took me about five minutes of rehearsing your name to get it right before we started. I don't know what my problem is. No, it's a terrible last name. It's a really, it really is. <laughs> but it's, Giz is cool. Giz is fine. Yeah. And uh, the reason that I'm having Giz on the show, well, let me read you his bio first and you'll figure it out. Um, so Giz has been in video game design. Yep. And writing for 20 years. He was a lead designer on Star Trek Armada and Star Wars Clone Wars. He was the creative director on Star Wars Battlefront 1 and 2, Lord of the Wings, Lord of the Wings, Lord of the Wings. How's it going? Maybe you've heard of it. Uh, Lord of the Rings Conquest and Celebrity Me. He is also the co-founder of Seismic Games, where he holds the title of Chief of Creative Officer. Is that right? Chief of yeah. Creative Officer? Chief Creative Officer. I'm going to, you know, I'm... Chief Creative Officer, not Chief of, yeah, whatever. And also, Giz is an active screenwriter who's sold feature films to 20th Century Fox, developed storylines for Supernatural, and co-wrote the award-winning short film Inside. And he's currently developing an unannounced virtual reality project, mobile game, and location-based ride for Seismic Games. Yes. So I want to actually start at the end of that bio. Sure. Talking about virtual reality. Because, you know, it's it's something that people hear about. They don't necessarily, not everybody understands what it is. And even fewer people understand its possibility for not only video game storytelling, which, you know, is we can kind of imagine that a little bit, but for narrative storytelling. And when you and I were talking the other day, you had some really interesting ideas about what it's like and where it will go. So I was wondering if you could start by talking about what is VR? What is virtual reality as we know it right now? Um, I think as essentially what virtual reality allows uh, for is for the viewer or the player, depending on how interactive it is, to be fully immersed in the scene and the environment and the story um, with full 360-degree perspective and um, sound. And it's a whole new way of telling a story because once you put the audience and the viewer physically in the environment, and that's what their brain is seeing, is that they're physically in the environment a lot of uh, assumptions you make on how you tell a story and how you uh, convey a sense of interaction just kind of go out the window and a whole new set of tools are available to the storyteller to be able to create a, a new experience. So on a, for video games, um, this must be a, an interesting challenge because you had mentioned before when you wanted to tell a story, you might stop the game and do a cut scene, right? right. And that's where you're kind of acting out sort of a, a small narrative and then moving on, right? 
in this case, you can't really stop things. You're the, it's, it's more of a, a, a flowing thing because you're right in the middle of it, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the biggest difference in VR than any kind of games or, or traditional storytelling is there's no camera. Mm-hmm. Um, the viewer is the camera and where the viewer is looking um, is, what, is what you're seeing. Now, there's some really cool techniques because um, we actually have the technology to know where the, the viewer is looking. So that can also uh, create some new opportunities. But it also means that we, a lot of control has been taken out of the game designer and the cinematographer in being able to um, not only dictate kind of what is on screen and what's in focus and what's not, but also you know where the story is going and how how uh, the pacing, all the editing's gone, <laughs> and everything's kind of it's it's a lot more it's almost more akin to watching a play live standing on stage in the middle of the stage than it is any other kind of form of storytelling. So so how is this going to work then for? when people are actually having virtual reality, reality TV shows or movies, how do you imagine that's going to be if you're right up on stage with the characters? I mean, I think one of the biggest problems that we said when we found when we started exploring this was um, there's an ex- uh, expectation, and I think it started with you know being going to the theater and then suddenly on the screen, that there's this sense of um, displacement between the viewer and there, there's literally a screen. There's a physical object that's bar- a barrier between you and the interaction. So once that's gone, and once you actually are standing in the middle of the, of the environment, there's this uh, instinctive expectation that I am present in there. And suddenly, one of the first things we found that's really strange is having two characters carry on a conversation while you're standing right there and not acknowledging your presence or existence feels really weird in VR. It's like rude. Yeah. It's like they just, you feel like a little bit like a fly on the wall, but then you're just kind of like, well, how come they're not looking at me and how come they're not acknowledging they're having this intense scene and, <laughs> and I'm just standing right here. So once we found like, well, and that was one of the first choices, um, a lot of VR storytelling has to make is, are you going to acknowledge the player's existence or not? Um, and presence. And once we kind of said, okay, well, let's just assume that we are going to acknowledge the player's presence and the player is an actual character. The next thing that was the next barrier is in traditional video games, there's a suspension of disbelief of, oh, I'm playing this character. Sometimes I can see the character on screen, sometimes even a first-person game like Call of Duty. There's this kind of illusion of, oh, it's me, but I really get, especially when the story comes on, I'm playing another character. Sometimes I get choice in what that character does or not, but there is this kind of one step removed. Um, and in VR, all that goes away um, because you're moving your head and you're looking where you're where they're seeing and you feel like, you know, that you are that character. There's this expectation from a lot of players that, oh, no, I'm playing me, not another not another character. And so then on top of that, if you acknowledge, OK, now we've got to acknowledge the player's existence existence. And now the player wants to be themselves in this scenario, not play some, you know, adventurer from the 30s. Um, it it changes the way and the, the techniques you have and the tools you have to tell a story. Uh, so there are some things, like I said, that are, that are really kind of limiting, like being able to do camera moves or being able to uh, do editing. Um, voiceover tends to be a little strange. Um, any kind of voiceover narration tends to be a little strange in VR because, again, I mean, I believe it's when you're looking at a screen and you hear someone talking in a disembodied voice from the screen, 
it, it's kind of an expectation. You just feel like you're being told a, told a story. But when you're in VR, especially with headphones on, and the voice is coming from essentially inside your head. It's like, <laughs> you, it's like the voice of God, yeah, or, or kinda, does it feel sort of schizophrenic, like you're hearing voices? It just feels like, again, it, yeah, it feels like it, it loses the sense of immersion. Mm-hmm. You're kind of in this scene, you're seeing everything going around, there's you know leaves falling and birds, and you're looking around everywhere, and then there's this voice talking. And it's trying to tell a story, but you're, you know, but you're in the middle of it too. Um, one of the things that we found is, and I, I love and hate to use this word, but diegetic sound. What does that mean? <laughs> diegetic. I've actually been told this is not a real world a word. Um, you guys it, made it up. I, I, I don't believe it, but I, if you look it up, it's not really, I don't know. <laughs> it may be, it may be a real word. If it wasn't, it is now. Um, the idea of diegetic sound is that the, it's that the, the audio, the audio comes from the in-world environment. It's the idea, the, the classic example is that the radio is playing and that's the soundtrack to the movie is playing on, in the, in the scene and that you're hearing the audio from the radio, not as a, like an over superimposed. Which audio. is it's funny because like in, uh, in screenplay, we're always talking about, look, if you really want music, make sure it's coming from a source because that's part of the story. When it suddenly plays over, it feels sort of otherworldly as when you're reading it. Like, where did, where did that come from? It takes right. you out of the story. So you're saying that that actually happens when you're in it, when you're when in, in this kind of VR world that suddenly music playing feels Yeah, you just kind of don't know where the music's coming from. Again, you hear birds chirping, and you can see the bird. And then you, if, so as much as possible, we found the more you can immerse the player or the viewer into the experience, as much as the sound can come from a radio and the, if it's possible again, or the sound effects and the same with the voiceover too. If there's some kind of conceit you can use, it's a lot easier in like a military shooter where you're like, you can have someone in your headset talking and and walking you through stuff, but any way that you can kind of uh, have any of the sound and any of the story being told in immediate, in the immediacy of the scene, uh, the more immersive it becomes. And it's amazing how instinctively we just get pulled out of it once we're, because VR has the potential to be so immersive yeah. that um, it can really start to evoke a lot of emotions that have physical, personal emotions that we've never been able to really kind of explore in storytelling. So there's that, that's really exciting. That, that you know, common used uh, example of the woman who felt like she was on the end of a cliff, right? Yeah. And and almost and and did freak out, right? right? So there's also that danger there, right? Of of making your tricking your brain into thinking it's in something that even though physically it's not, emotionally it could send you to all kinds of weird totally. places. Absolutely, and like just even instinctively. I mean, uh, you know, if you, I keep thinking of uh, when eventually someone recreates the scene at the end of uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom on that rickety bridge in VR, like to be standing there on this rickety bridge and look down and see the alligators chomping and to have the scene and this tension build and you're physically, you know, feeling a sense of vertigo as it's happening. So you're going to be really, your body will tense up and you will be, you will be in the moment. That's something that, you know, that's evoking an emotional response that we really haven't been able to do yet, even on the big screen. Now, so here, here comes the challenge, right? So if you're, if you're a player, I'm sure this is just awesome because you've wanted to get the, behind the gun in certain kind of video video games and they've had that for years and stuff. And this way, like you're right in the middle of it. You're in the army. You are part of a game and you know your place in it. But when you're talking about narrative, right, even if you're there 
with Indiana Jones, you become afraid for yourself rather than afraid for him. And that worries me mm-hmm. because suddenly your, your own peril is distracting from the story. You should be worried about him. Right. So how do you do that? Um, again, I think it starts with that decision of whether or not you're, the, you're telling the story to the player or you're telling the story with the player. Um, again, in that case, if you are Indiana Jones, then, then you're in sync because you're feeling the physical peril yourself and you're feel, fe- feeling your character's peril. Um, it's when, and I don't know exactly how we're going to pull this off, but it's, it's, a little, it's a little more interesting when we talk about more passive VR experiences and how to kind of evoke those emotional response when you're not acknowledging the player's existence or the viewer's existence or the viewer is not supposed to be a character. You know, there's no conceit. Yeah, because, because that takes away your lead actor. You know, like if suddenly you're the lead actor, um, then you're just, and it, it actually does make you incredibly passive because stuff is happening to you. You don't have a script that's right. written your choices. Whereas what, when we watch a lead actor, they have a script and we are, you know, constantly surprised by their choices. We don't want to have to make them. Um, so how, how you mentioned sort of a more passive, uh, role for the viewer. How do you pull that off? Um, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, give me an answer. I'm not sure. I mean, my, my brain goes straight to games usually, uh, and interactive stuff. But, um, one of the ways that, that, uh, we've been exploring in some, in some projects is, uh, you know, again, if, if there was some kind of conceit, like, for example, you're a ghost, uh-huh. you know, something where you really, you understand the rules of, I can't interact with anyone, but I'm just kind of a fly on the wall and I'm observing that kind of thing, or you're a drone or you're the security camera, you know, or something where the conceit allows you and understands what rules you're kind of being confined to in the narrative. Um, that's one way to explore it. But honestly, it's, it's going to be a challenge for traditional storytellers and filmmakers and television to try to tell compelling stories in VR without involving the viewer. Because like I said, a lot of the tricks and the, just the visual language that we've established in how to tell a story in film and TV are out the window. You know, I mean, just little things like being able to position the camera low and have characters loom above you to give them a sense of intimidation or to be able to position the camera high and have characters, you know, towering over the uh, characters to give you the viewer a sense of power. That stuff's not there anymore. Now you can kind of replace that by actually making the avatar character or the, you know, the camera high or low. But again, it's just, it just, it's, it's this weird sense of displacement where again, it's almost it's almost more like being on stage or on set while they're filming. <laughs> right. I, I I did watch um, in London a twenty minute uh, VR narrative piece, like a mini movie, and I was pretty blown away. Um, and I have to be honest with you, I didn't feel like I was part of it, like I was being ignored. I I just felt like I had a different perspective. I was definitely in the middle of something, but like any viewer, I was really just sort of looking. But one thing that was interesting to me was, well, they well they did two things that that cheated based on, on sort of the the problems that you're mentioning, right? One was they created a story where there was a kid who was on a screen. It was very sort of 1984 or Hunger Games, right? So imagine this big screen. And he is playing 
a game that is sort of life and death. And as the viewer, I was in the middle of that game. So I'm watching this kid on a screen, and he had a little narrative going on. There was a mom and a dad coming in. There was definitely sort of drama playing out, but he stayed in one place, so my eyes were focused there. But around me was this game, and I could go to the left, or I could go to the right, or I could go a little bit up or down. Um, And sometimes I wasn't always paying attention to the narrative. That was a problem, you know? and and so so yeah, it felt like they wanted you to pay attention to the story, and that was the way that they were going to do it. Was creating this very you know typical movie screen in a way right. within this right. VR world, because I could have gotten distracted. Right? They want to point me someplace. How do you how do you keep that camera pointed when you are the camera? Yeah, no, and that's I think the trick. I mean, the benefit of that is you know you can watch it, you can go through it three or four times and mm-hmm. get something new out of it every time because you could be like, I'm, this time I'm just going to look at the screen the whole time. This time I'm going to go look, you know, look over here in this corner. This time I'm going to stay, or you can watch it from this position. The other one that's uh, really fascinating that comes up a lot in VR is, uh, I haven't seen it, but uh, Sleep No More Okay, um, is the, I believe it's um, Hamlet okay. in, in real time out in New York. I think it's like they have a, from what I can gather, it's a, uh, you go into a, a building and they put on Hamlet and the play, but there's multiple rooms and you as the audience just kind of walk around from room to room and follow characters and they're playing it in real time and they're acting it out in real time. So you, if you know, if something's happening in one room and you happen to be, have chosen to be in another room, you're going to miss something. Um, yeah, they had something out here in LA for years called Tamara. Same thing. It was in an old Hollywood building. You'd go from room to room and you'd kind of, you could follow a character um, or you could just go from room to room and the different, the different stories playing out. Uh, but again, how do you keep focus, right? right. So do you, in Ham, with the Hamlet story, do they say this is the room and then here's the next, here's the next, or are the, is the audience allowed to branch off? I yeah, I don't know. Um, and, and it's an interesting choice. I mean, it's, I guess, you know, the thing is it really kind of, it breaks convention of potentially how to tell a story entirely. I mean, you know, you could argue that it's, that VR, if you want to give the viewer this kind of freedom, that you want to tell stories that are really robust and aren't as linear or aren't, you know, uh, ensemble stories might make more sense or stories that actually have a lot of layers to it where you are going to be like, well, this time I'm just going to follow the villain and I'm going to see what happens. And that it might be, you know, murder mysteries. One of the one of the um, genres that seems to work really, really well in VR is horror. Um, and again, it's it's playing on that visceral uh, component of, you know, it's one thing to watch a scared victim in a closet and through the slats see the the murderer, you know, pacing back and forth looking for them. It's another thing to be in the closet and to hear the breathing in your ear. And to only be able to see through the slats yourself, you know, mm-hmm. and to hear the sounds of the, of them approaching, you know, in, in, in virtual reality and then have that door f- fly open. So, I mean, it is pretty easy to terrify someone in VR. Um, and to, I am and terrified just, just hearing about that. It's, it's scary. Yeah. Um, and the same with action too. Again, you can really put someone in the middle of a battlefield. You can put someone in the, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, the opening to, um, to saving private Ryan you know, you you could put someone on the beach in Normandy, with you know, with planes flying over and gunshots and explosions, and you can really you know get someone to really evoke an emotional response. 
there's also the other side of it too, though, which is kind of crazy. Um, one of the things that we've explored is, uh, there are certain things you can do in VR that you, and storytelling that you can't do in traditional games or, uh, or film. One of which is, uh, make eye contact with the viewer. Oh yeah. That's weird. Yeah. (laughs) Um, it's weird, but it's kind of awesome. It's kind of amazing because, and especially depending on how robust and interactive you get, you can actually, there's something very primal and, and instinctive about having someone making eye contact with you, um, conveying whether or not they're telling the truth or not, if they look away from you or not, and their intensity. And there's kind of this intimacy that's immediately established when you look at, when you make eye contact with someone. And you can do that in VR. And the first time it happens to most people in VR, they're like, well, that's crazy, you know? But that's really the moment where you kind of, a lot of people lose themselves, especially in video. Um, and then, you know, playing off that, the other one that's uh, really interesting is kind of an invasion of personal space. So there's always this barrier of the TV or the, or the screen in film. And in VR, you can physically have another character walk right up into you. And there's, you know, and you can actually, in some, depending on the VR system, you can either step back and actually have room space or you have no choice and they're right up in your face. And there's this kind of unsettling emotion that's evoked uh, when someone's invading your personal space, um, whether it's through intimidation or whether it's through intimacy, but either way, you you can't help, your brain can't help but evoke an emotional response. And this is the kind of stuff that's just like really kind of crazy. Well, also, I'm imagining not only somebody invading the audience's space, but the audience can invade the character space. So let's say that you have just a really intimate scene of a person crying and so, and she's crying in front of another person, right? So normally we could see, you know, her face up close if it was, if it was, uh, 2d, right. Mm -hmm. But in this world, right, we could see her cry. Then we could walk around to the back of her and see her shoulders shaking. Right. Mm -hmm. And then we would look up and we could see that person looking at her crying Mm -hmm. and his, and his point of view, and again, we're the camera, right? right. We're making those choices. Right. But I would imagine uh, you have to film all those choices in the for the VR world. Like you, so, how does this get filmed anyway? What do you guys use? Drones? No, how so does this happen? Yeah, it's, it's a it's a really cool it's a really cool three D camera, a three sixty camera, okay, um, basically. And you, there's there's a hundred eighty degree VR and three sixty degree VR. I mean. 180 degree VR really kind of is a little bit of a letdown once you get in there because you you look behind you and it's just black. Oh, <laughs> so bummer. It's kind of, it feels again like, a, like you're on set, you know? Um, you get spoiled so easily. Like what? I can't see behind me. What? Oh, come on. I want to stare at the window. <laughs> <laughs> um, but 360 VR, it basically, um, it's crazy. And uh, having some friends that are filming in VR, they're talking about all these crazy techniques because it totally changes the way you direct and the way that uh, you you know that you stage uh, your scenes because you basically put the camera in the middle of the of the set and then everyone has to go hide um, and there's you know you have to like the, literally they have like directors in the closet and they have like people you know and sta- stage managers you know hiding behind cabinets to make sure that they're not in the scene wow um, and then and then it's all one take and then you have to you know then you can cut and stitch together uh, stuff. But, um, but it's, yeah, it's, again, it's a lot more, it's almost more like all the tricks for the trade from, uh, from being from theater are kind of coming back into play now, but with, uh, with film and TV. 
maybe more work for theater actors. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so as somebody who has written, you know, uh, you know, you've, you've story consulted on um, Supernatural and you've sold screenplays. So you, you know, you know, what screenwriters need. Um, now, there are a lot of production companies these days, um, or I shouldn't say a lot, but a few production companies that are saying, mm-hmm. we are looking for VR projects. Not even those production companies really know what they're looking for, right? right, right. But if, let's say, one of the listeners wanted to venture out into the world of, I got a VR project for you, what would be some things, based on what we talked about, like a little checklist of things that they should possibly incorporate into their narratives to make it VR friendly? Um, yeah, that's a great question. I, I think um, I think the things that we've been talking about are really kind of the key is I think what's going to be really interesting and what's going to rise above the noise as far as VR narratives are going to be the things that are unique to VR that you can't get into a in a in a traditional storytelling environment. So again, crazy settings, mm-hmm. um, elaborate settings that because you know, people that, are going to be looking all over that room yeah. or that world, and every if there isn't something interesting to look at, it kind of takes away from the experience. Yeah, and that and, and settings and locations that evoke emotional response because mm-hmm. you've got the you know the agoraphobia of the like or the vertigo of the giant you know being on the bridge or the rooftop, but then you've got the opposite too of the claustrophobia of being in a closet. And that also just evokes an emotional response where you're just like, I need to get out. I mean, most people are like, I need to get out of here. <laughs> Open the door, please. But, you know, again, once you've got a heightened sense from your audience, I think that's a good thing. So um, crazy settings, One. crazy settings. Um, I think, you know, picking your genre is going to be an important component. Like I said, horror, um, action, uh, depending on, you know, on the, on the budget. Um, obviously, you know, anything science fiction or fantasy has the opportunity to, you know, to immerse people in, in something they've never seen or experienced before. Or they can't experience in the normal life. So those are really appealing. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm wondering how the, the dramas are going to do in VR. Um, because there's some kind of, there's, there's like a comfort in the distance that you have from getting too emotional on that, uh, on those. And I don't know how, Again, like a scene, like you were saying, the scene between, you know, two people having a, having a, 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 an intense moment and one of them crying, you know, or an intense scene. It's like, you want the attention focused on that scene and on those two characters. Um, it's almost like one of those times where you want a traditional story. You want traditional film techniques. You want to be able to know where to focus on and who to look at when they're saying their lines. And you might not get the same emotional response in VR if you have to keep ping-ponging your head, looking back and forth between the two characters as they're arguing. But, but you know, what if you went opposite with everything that you're saying? You created uh, a setting that isn't interesting enough to constantly pull the attention of the viewer. Mm-hmm. And you made your characters so interesting that our focus was around them so that we would literally, like I said, maybe be walking around that, that we'd be noticing those little tells that as screenwriters, we write into the scene right. to make the scene interesting, those little pieces of action. Well, now as you're walking around and really experiencing these people, you get, you get all those things. Yeah, you know? absolutely. I, I think mean, it could work really well. I mean, especially like, like mystery. Mm-hmm. I think mystery is going to be, you know, I think procedurals eventually can do that. I mean, again, a crime drama mm-hmm. where 
you know, where you're watching the investigation take place and you're at the crime scene and you could potentially pick up stuff that even the characters don't see, you know, could be very cool. And again, without even being interactive, just being like, oh, I know who did it because I was looking at the picture on the mantle and I realized that, you know, the, the sun was missing from the picture and I figured this out before anyone else. So, so crazy settings, picking your genre. Um, and I think, I, so I think it's the, the, ultimately it's about the story that you want to tell mm-hmm. and whether or not that story again is going to evoke more of an emotional response in VR than it would in, in traditional film or TV. Um, which might also go with genre a little bit. Yeah. I would also like uh, maybe piggyback, piggyback a little bit on what you said about point of view, because I think there's also this wonderful um, opportunity for what would normally be the prequel and the sequel that you can go back in, watch the same thing, like you said, from a different character's point of view, and it's a different movie. Right. Right. I mean, if you if if you let's say that a theater offered this one this one VR movie and then it offered the same VR movie from the, the villain's point of view. Would it be, do you think a, a different movie? Would we be oh, seeing yeah. something that we didn't see before? Absolutely. And that's the other one too is, is um, that's a really cool thing is even if you didn't want to go all the way to a full game and make things interactive it, because of the very nature of the, the, the hardware in VR, mm-hmm you could do narrative choices and have a branching story in a VR story and still in film and do it. So you could do a, a story where it's the same story and you have all that, you can go back and watch a bunch of times, but you could choose one of five different endings. Well, let's, let's make that then maybe the third thing on the list, which is like a potential for a point of view shift, you know, view and interactivity point of view and interactivity. All right. That sounds good. All right, so we've got crazy setting, we've got picking genre and point of view and interactivity, things to think about if you're actually writing this stuff. I'm going to ask you uh, one more question before, before we move on to talking about the other things that you do. Um, and that is, how do you imagine a v, like VR movies or TV offerings in the future? Like, Do you think at home people are just going to put on their VR headset? And watch like together, like let's binge watch, honey, and we we put on our mask. Or do you think like we'll go to a movie theater and same thing we do with 3D glasses, we do with VR glasses? Or I think one of the hardest things about VR that needs to overcome is losing that social aspect. I mean, going to the movies, watching, binge watching, you know, in the living room, those are social experiences that you know that people really enjoy. And there's just this real sense of isolation when. Uh, you put on those glasses and you put on the headphones, um, the goggles, because you are, I mean, you're not only, you know, really immersed in the experience, but you have no idea what's going on outside. outside. Yeah. You have complete sen- loss of sensory perception. It's, it's, it's very strange. Yeah. And you don't, and you lose a sense of time and you kind of, I mean, it's, it's great in that regard that you can really dive into it but you have no sense of it. Now, a lot of games and a lot of technologies are starting to explore this idea of kind of social VR experiences or shared VR experiences. And I think that'll help. But then again, that kind of, that flies in the face of the other thing we were talking about of interactivity and, and am I me is, okay, now I'm watching this scene and there are 50 other people watching it with me and I either can see them or can't see them. And suddenly now it's like, well, kind of loses the immersion 
of this intimate scene between these two people with 50 of us standing there. And you know, you don't want anybody to take your picture when you've got these, these oh, things yeah. on too. Like, I remember, you know, passing by the room where everybody was watching this, this movie and they were all like, kind of like their mouths were open, their jaws, you know, you know, yeah. and they kind of looked like, like, like dogs with the, the tongues yeah. kind of lolling out and stuff. And I was like, I will not act like that. Right. And then when they put it on me, by the end of it, you know, open mouth, yeah. little drool in the corner. There's something, Everyone I don't know looks what happened. Yeah. Why? <laughs> Why do we get like that? So straight. Like, cause our minds are just so fixated on this thing. We have no like awareness of what our body's doing. I think it's amazing. I mean, it's really like, it's really like within 10 seconds of, being isolated from that we just think oh yeah there's no one else around <laughs> maybe that's <laughs> like, it like we just kind of just forget that that we're you know that that anyone else is around it's really it's kind of like an out of sight out of mind thing you know like oh yeah i can't hear anyone i can't see anyone i must be alone wow well all i can say is it's a scary world but it's very interesting yeah. there's entire conventions devoted to vr now um mm-hmm. the video game world is of course changing um but there are narrative possibilities and it's, it's not something to poo poo you know because you know every once in a while somebody will go oh we're gonna yeah. do this we're gonna do that and people go that's eh, gonna be a fad but i i don't know i i you know you've got to take all these things seriously because this could be the next thing that gets you work Absolutely. I mean, I think it was the same with, with games, too. I think that a game, storytelling in games and narratives in games originally kind of was looked down upon as not really being on par. And I, th- I think it was only until games really started to take advantage of the differences uh, between storytelling in games and storytelling in traditional mediums that, that it started to really kind of earn its respect. I mean, I have been moved in, you know, in game stories, you know, and sometimes way more than I have in, in traditional film or TV, because I've got this investment in the characters. I mean, keep in mind when you watch a movie, you know, you're seeing these other characters run around with you for an hour, two hours at max. Um, in video games, sometimes you're playing with this character or these other characters for 30, 60 hours. So you get to know these characters in a way and, you know, you start to form this really personal, unique attachment to these characters. So when that character dies or that character goes through some kind of, you know, traumatic experience, you're really able to relate to them in a way that, you know, that you can't when you're just seeing your action hero run around on the screen for a little bit. So as a video game writer, do you, do you think that makes you more empathetic to every character's point of view at like, when you're writing, you know, a, a movie narrative, because you're always looking at it a little bit like a video game, like what would this character's point of view be with this and, and so on? It's, it's, uh, it's hard. It's different. I mean, there is definitely, there's that, on the flip side, there is that skill in being able to create a character, make that character likable and be able to relate to that character in an hour and a half. Like that is, that is a unique skill on its own. In a way, you know, a video game writer has more the luxury to be able to space out that over the course of many, many hours. Um, so I think it's a little different. I think there's just, um, and I think that, you know, and again, I think it's going to be a little easier at first for game writers to write for VR than traditional screenwriters. And I think that's because this level of interactivity, um, this level of immersion, I think is something that game writers have already been kind of used to, this idea of, of um, having the player. There's also like this is kind of suspension of disbelief that I think happens in games where again, you feel like, Oh, I'm this character and this is the character I am. And you kind of get into the mindset of, and there's a little bit of role playing and I'm this character. This is how this character would behave. This is how I choose to make this character behave. And I feel like there's a little more displacement in traditional 
film and TV where it's like, well, I'm not Indiana Jones. I'm just watching Indiana Jones run around. But when I'm playing the game, I am Indiana Jones, you know? And so I think that VR, because it's so much more immediate, is going to be a little bit easier for the game writers to wrap their head around before the traditional screenwriters. Oh, so, you know, <laughs> they're going to be the people that like take your job unless you guys learn this stuff. Um, so, so, uh, uh, Right now, you're. I'm. I'm lucky enough to have you in my screenwriting class, yeah. which is great. Um, do you find screenwriting, um, you know, without all this immersion, okay, um, or without all these different character possibilities, right? All these different story possibilities, right? Like not thirty hours. Do you find this limiting, or do you find it kind of freeing? Um, little from column a, a, a little from column B. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and again, it's just, it's, it's beautiful to just be, uh, to tell a clean story and to not have to worry about, well, what if the player does this? And what if the player goes there? And what about this character? And what about this side story? I mean, um, I think, you know, game, game writing is a little more, it's a lot more world building and a lot more like writing, five seasons of a television show before ever, you know, we are before ever coming out with it. Whereas there's this purity and cleanness to screenwriting, to film screenwriting, which is just like, I'm going to tell the story as tight and concise as possible. And it's got, you know, and it's got this, um, this, whatever it is, it's, it's theme and it's, it's, yeah, yeah, and And it feels good and that's it. And, you know, you know, the, the, and the audience also, the expectation is that the audience knows what they're getting into when they sit down, for film they know they're getting into a two-hour experience uh and the same with the games when you sit down with the game if you know what kind of genre it is you're like okay i know this is an 80-hour game so they start planning okay i'm going to play it for a few hours today and then i'm going to you know next week and whatever i'm going to be done with this game in three weeks um it's just a different journey that's funny that that the audience gets in a, a different mindset same thing with tv right so yeah. we, we get our little chunk and we're okay. We're not sitting there going, what's that? What's, what's next? Right. You know, unless you're binging, unless you're binging. <laughs> and then, you know, I mean, binging actually binging a season might be the closest thing to that. I think that non gamers get to that feeling that gamers get when they're immersed in a story because you know, like, Oh my God, I've got eight more hours of this. I can't <laughs> wait to find out what happens next. And you, you mentioned that, um, you had done some story consulting for supernaturals. Um, you developed yeah. some storylines. Um, how now were you actually writing the scripts or were you actually, or were you just consulting on where the story lines could go? Um, I have, um, I'm, uh, uh, the creator of supernatural Eric Kripke is a friend of mine. And, uh, I just had the fortune of being able to, you know, uh, be around him while he's been, uh, while he was creating that stuff. And so I had some ideas for episodes and being a fan of the show. Um, he just, he worked with me on some of the, uh, on some of my ideas and was able to get some of those ideas into the, uh, into the show. So he must be great with ideas. I mean, as somebody who's doing video games and like you said, you have to create all these different what ifs, right? Yeah. You just must be like, well, what if this happens? What if that happens? Okay. Then we do this and we do that. Cause you don't really have time with video game writing, I would imagine to have a lot of writer's block, right? Yeah. You've just got to make some decisions. Yeah. No, there's a lot of content. I mean, the crazy amount of content and I, I don't write everything for all the games that I work on, but you know, video game writers have to spit out so much content. I mean, so much dialogue and so many possibilities. And a lot of that stuff, the player audience doesn't even see because they just went down that They turned left rather than right. So they didn't even see that whole thing. Um, so yeah, it is a little more, it's a lot more spitballing and a lot more, um, high level concepts than, than, uh, 
And again, it's like it's it's almost more like developing an entire show, an entire show arc, uh, right off the bat. Um, but uh, my friends in 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 TV and film, they have that skill that I, that I'm not as good at of being able to really just kind of strip down a scene and get the most out of it, and really kind of tight uh, tighten it. Where I'm a lot more high concept guy. Now um, there are people who are playing video games as they're listening to this podcast. Okay, <laughs> they've written me and told me so. So um, so I'm sure there's. A lot of people who would like to get into the business of writing for video games. Mm-hmm. We've talked a lot about how you get into the business of writing for TV or, or features. But is there a tip you can give as far as somebody out there is like, I love this, I do it, I think I'd be the right writer for it. Where do they, they go and what do they submit? Um, I mean, there are schools now that that i mean in both as a as in bachelor's degrees as well as masters uh usc has an amazing video game uh school um and as far as the writing specifically goes I'll, again it's it's a little interchangeable you don't uh between there are plenty of tv writers that write for games and film writers that write for games and game writers that eventually write for film and tv um i don't know i don't know exactly how to how they how they get a rise above the noise and get your stuff seen um but it's it's good if you know someone that's in games that's the great start sure sure (laughs) sure um but do you have to come with any kind of writing samples in when you're yeah so traditionally when a when a game's looking for writers it will uh you know they sometimes you will use agencies so if you have an agent depending on the you know the level of the game but they will uh it'll be like an open rec just like a like a hiring position and they will ask you to submit a sample of writing. Um, sometimes if it, fo- if it follows up, if they're looking for a specific type of writer, they will say, Hey, they will even set the stage and do like a writing test and say, Hey, we want you to write, you know, create a world in a sci-fi universe where, you know, water doesn't exist and, and, you know, give us a one page on that or create a character for this setting. Um, and they'll do writing tests and then they'll, that's how they'll make their decision. So, um, like anything else, I just feel like perseverance don't, be afraid to be nagging and to be aggressive and anyone that you, uh, I mean, I think that, you know, the video game industry in particular, um, initiative and, and, and being aggressive is usually rewarded. Um, the video game industry usually is looking for people that are very, very passionate about wanting to, that love games and also really, really want to make games. Um, and you know, it's a really intense industry with a lot of hard hours and long hours and, and, um, and it's a small, it's a small insulated industry as well. And so I would just say, don't give up, call, bang down the doors, you know, like just keep on pushing, send emails. Just um, not to guess. Okay. Let's just be very clear. Me. I'm not going to display my email. <laughs> Actually don't do any of that stuff. Everything I just said, just don't do that. <laughs> this, um, this has been really helpful. What, do you want people to uh, buy your stuff? And if so, where do they go? And what should they, what should they get excited for um, from Thanks. your company? Thanks. Yeah. We're, you know, we've got a lot of Really cool stuff that we're working on. I can't talk about any of it, which is really driving me crazy. <laughs> Why does this always happen on my show? I, I get these people that are like, yeah, great <laughs> stuff. Can't talk about it. It's like, oh. We're working on mobile games. We're working on, I think I can, I can say this without, let's see how I can get around this. We are working on a interactive ride for Disneyland with a major IP. Um, that's an expansion to, to Disneyland. That's going to be really, really cool. 
Um, and it has a narrative story that's going to be interactive. Um, and I can't say any more than that. Otherwise I will get fired. Right. No, no. <laughs> Especially when you just said the people that you just said, like, okay, yeah, don't worry about it. But, um, um, but, yeah. but, uh, should people go out and, uh, buy star Wars battlefront one and two Lord of the Rings conquest and, and celebrity me. Those they? are, those are those. I don't know if you can find those in stores anymore. There, there's the new battlefront. Um, okay. I didn't, I didn't work on the new battlefront, but, uh, but uh, there's, there'll be some games for seismic. Uh, there'll be some games coming down for seismic games, and when they come out, you should definitely play them um, if you see them. But uh, and and people should definitely wa- keep watching uh, Eric Kripke's shows because they're awesome. He's got a show out now called um, Timeless. That's pretty awesome. And you, and you know I'm going to be hitting you up for Eric's email yeah. after this. <laughs> come on, Eric Kripke. Come on the show. Where it's nice oh, and, here. And everyone out there, please do not email Eric Kripke. Oh yeah, Eric. don't ever, yeah, don't email anybody. Um, no, no. Every my my listeners are so polite. They are really respectful people. Yeah. You never have to worry. Um, so Seismic Games is there a website that people can go to yeah. to check Seismic it? Seismic Games www dot um, to talk a little bit about the projects we're working on out there. Um, yeah, and then eventually those games will be coming out. Excellent. And are you a, a Twitter person? I um, sure. <laughs> I'm not active, but I do have um, at gizgewertz dot com. Okay, or as gizgewertz, and we spell the and gewertz is G E W I R T Z. That's it. Yes. Okay. I think the other thing too, though, uh, that I would leave off on is one of the things that I've been as I, I've been doing some talks on VR and VR narratives at uh, game conventions, and one of the things that's most exciting as I talk to people before and after my talks is that um, this is brave new world. And so everyone has an opinion and I'm totally happy to, and love to hear the opinions because we're essentially creating a new form of visual, of visual language on how to tell stories in VR and everyone's finding things out along the way. And so, uh, so it's definitely an open discussion. And if anyone wants to contribute to that discussion, um, at this point, it's, it's a really exciting time. Awesome. Thank you. Um, I want to remind everybody to go to onthepage.tv. We just had our second writing marathon here at the studio, and it was really fun. Again, it is 15 hours from 9 a.m. to midnight. The studio is open. We have 75 minutes of focused writing time, followed by 15-minute breaks, 75 minutes, 15 minutes, and so on. It's a ball. Um, I limit it to 20 people so that you guys have some elbow room, and there's free coffee and candy all day. Yay. Uh, the fee for the whole day is 60 bucks. So if you're interested in doing the next marathon, it is February 5th. Yes, I know that's Super Bowl Sunday. Actually, I found out the Super Bowl Sunday, but this is the deal. <laughs> Let's say that you're not into the Super Bowl or you know that somebody's going to be glued to the TV and you want to do something else. Come to the studio. So go to onthepage.tv and sign up for that. Thank you again. Thanks for having me. You are awesome. I want to uh, remind everybody to explore the brave new world of virtual reality. Go somewhere like a mall and put on a headset and have your mind blown and then come up with a story. And and who knows? Maybe uh, maybe you'll beat these, uh, these video game writers to the punch. We'll see. Um, so... Thanks to Giz. Thanks to all of you for listening and have a good writing week. 